Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. To celebrate the release of my new book of devotions on Ephesians for the next little while here on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing talks through the entire book of Ephesians. These talks have been preached in church services, on camps, and in other contexts, and some of them are as old as 2015, some as recent as 2022. Some have been on the podcast before, and some of them are brand new. If you like the talks, hopefully you'll love the devotions. There are 40 days of readings, and they'll take you through the entire book of Ephesians. You can order the book now by heading to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. I uh, am going to need a little bit of a response from you guys tonight because the first thing I need to do is I need to talk about uh, this terrible dividing wall of hostility uh, which uh, exists in our country today. It is a dividing wall which uh, many of you know about and uh, sometimes we discuss it among each other. Many people have brought it up with me since, uh, since arriving here at this church. And that is the dividing wall of hostility between Sydney and Melbourne. And as many of you know, uh, me and Emily, my wife, we moved down here from Sydney uh, about eight months ago. And uh, there's always this rivalry between Sydney and Melbourne. And many people have said to me, well, what city do you think is better? And so let me ask you, what city do you think is better, Melbourne or Sydney? Melbourne. Okay. So what I need from you now also is I need you to tell me, why is Melbourne the better city? The better Sydney. Why is Melbourne the better city? I need, I need anyone, anyone want to tell me, why do you think Melbourne is better than Sydney? Coffee. The, the coffee in Melbourne is better than Sydney's coffee. I have no idea whether that's the case because I haven't drunk, I have drunk coffee in Sydney and it was disgusting. I haven't drunk coffee in Melbourne, so I don't know, but it could be amazing. But I think coffee itself is disgusting, so there's a strong chance that I think Melbourne coffee is disgusting, but this coffee is better over here. Melbourne's cheaper than Sydney. Melbourne's, you mean like the, the like rent is cheaper? How Transport is cheaper, that's right. Uh, everything is cheaper in Melbourne. Yeah, except for the people, yes. The drinking water doesn't taste like desalted salt water, desalinated. In fact, New South Wales spent a lot of money building a desalination plant to, to clean the water and never, I don't think they ever used it. Um, and, it, and, it tastes, and, and so you think the Melbourne water tastes better. Yeah, there was actually this campaign in Sydney, I don't know if you guys know about it, a few years ago that, that Sydney Water started bottling Sydney Water and they were like, it's like, good enough to bottle, good enough to drink or something like that. And just at the time they started selling these bottles of tap water, literally tap water, they were selling them in supermarkets and they're like, buy tap water and you buy them. At that time we had a, a scare in Sydney where there was like giardia in the water and, and they're like, you're all going to get sick. And so they just started, you know, bottling like, like, disease and selling it to everyone. So, you know, people don't die of Melbourne's tap water, so that's good. Any other reasons why Melbourne is a better city? Yeah. The roads actually go in the direction they're heading, 
The roads go in the direction they're heading. Yeah, you start heading one direction in Melbourne and you end up heading exactly the same direction unless you choose to turn rather than in Sydney. Sydney's like, I don't care where you want to go, I'm going to take you wherever the heck I want to take you. And then you end up you know, somewhere completely different, like Melbourne when you're trying to go to Brisbane because Sydney is confusing and Melbourne makes sense when you're trying to drive. There are any other reasons... Sorry, not so humid. Yeah, so, you know, Hawley, with your hairstyle, your hair won't go terrible in the humid weather. That's correct. You know, that's not so humid. There are a few other reasons which I've found out, which I've, I've had a look into just to make sure. One is that, you know, Sydney just loves itself too much. Sydney is definitely is like, we're the best. We've got a harbour. We don't need to try. And Melbourne's like, we're going to keep being the best building beautiful buildings, and we don't have a beautiful harbour, we've just got a disgusting river, so we're going to do our best. And so Melbourne keeps trying and keeps achieving. Melbourne has more letters in its name than Sydney, which that, you know, like as far as just accumulation of letters, Melbourne wins, that's very good. Sydney was started to house convicts, Melbourne was started by people who were working hard, hard-working Australians trying to find gold. Like that, you know, that says something about the kind of people who live in Sydney and the kind of people who live in Melbourne. In, in, in Melbourne, you've got in beautiful laneways in Melbourne. That's, we can, you know, we can go out and we can have a, have a disgusting coffee in a beautiful laneway and that's fantastic. You can hang out with friends. You can relax. In Sydney, no one relaxes in laneways. Everyone just, you know, relieves themselves in laneways. That's about it with the Sydney laneways. So there's a lot of reasons. And, you know, you can, there's always this division. And people, and if I go to Sydney, I'll just talk to Sydney people about how much better Sydney is than Melbourne. And when I'm here, I'll talk to you guys about how much better Melbourne is than Sydney. And, and we just play on the divide. And I'm, I'm talking about this really because it's, it's not actually a big deal because I know this because you're all willing to talk to me still, even though I spent so much of my life in Sydney and you're willing to shake my hands. And, uh, and probably if Emily and I had children and then our children wanted to marry your children, you'd let them marry, which would be great. You wouldn't be like, no, you cannot marry your Sydneyites children. Uh, you'd let it happen. However, what we are looking at tonight is we are looking at a divide that is much bigger than the Sydney-Melbourne divide, and that is the Jewish-Gentile divide, which we see in the Bible. And that divide was a whole lot bigger, whereas the Sydney-Melbourne divide has only been going on for a couple of hundred years or so, maybe a little bit less. Uh, This divide between Jews and Gentiles, which we read about in the Bible, at the time that Paul was writing in the passage, had been going for thousands of years. And the divide was so strong that Jews would not eat with Gentiles, Jews being people who are Jewish and Gentiles being everyone who's not Jewish, and and Jews would uh, not... Um, not go into their houses, and they wouldn't let their children, uh, Jewish children, marry Gentile children. In fact, if a Jew married a Gentile, they would hold a funeral for the Jew uh, who had moved on. Uh, so this is, this is how deep the divide was. And this passage is talking to us tonight about how Christ has come to unify not just us to God, but us to each other. Christ is here to break down the dividing walls of hostility between humanity. And so if you look at the beginning, you can see uh, how Paul starts to talk about this. He talks about what the plight is like for the Gentile before Jesus arrives. He says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That means for every single one of you here who is a Gentile, 
uh, which is, I'm guessing, probably most of you, uh, before Christ came, things were looking very bleak for you. Listen to again how bad it is. If you are a Gentile, before Christ, you were separate from him. And before him, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, meaning you were excluded from the people of God. You could not be part of God's family. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, covenant being a a relationship, uh, a promising relationship where you're committed to each other for for life. And God is saying, God is not committed to you before Jesus has come. That you are, it says, without hope and without God in the world. That is a very bleak outlook on life. And that it's happening because uh, if you were born not being of the Jews, then you were excluded from all these things. Uh, the, The Jews were allowed all this stuff. They were welcomed into God's family, but the Gentiles were left out. And you might be sitting there going, that seems a bit unfair to me. That just because of who you were born to, just because of your race, that you will be excluded, that seems, that seems wrong. I was driving down the road the other day, driving in a straight line down a road, which was excellent, and I drove past the Hungarian club. And I saw the Hungarian club, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my grandfather's Hungarian. I was like, I wonder if I could become a member of the Hungarian club. And I was like, I probably could become a member of the Hungarian club. I was like, I think I will become a member of the Hungarian club. That'll be great. And I drove along thinking about how good it is that I'm a hung- member of the hung- I'm probably definitely a member of the Hungarian club, and pretty much everyone I else, else I know is not a member of the Hungarian club. Everyone else is excluded and I'm included. I'm a good Hungarian. But then it occurred to me like there are other clubs. What about the Croatian club? I'm like, I'm not a member of the Croatian club. I could probably never be a member of the Croatian club. Or like the Kenyan club. I couldn't join the Kenyan club or the New Zealander club. I couldn't join the New Zealander club. There are all sorts of clubs I couldn't join. I couldn't even join, uh, you know, things not because of race. Like, you know, women's clubs. Like Fernwood Gym. I could not join Fernwood Gym or Curves. Is that for women too? I think it is. And I couldn't join because of my gender. I'm excluded because of my race and because of my gender. These things leave me out and and, and it feels bad to me and I hope it feels bad to you that you were excluded from all these things. And maybe that's how we feel about this this, what the Bible is saying, that just because you weren't born a Jew, you're excluded from all these things. But the point of the, the Jewish Gentile thing is that the Jews weren't picked because they were amazing and God was like, you guys are so good, I'm going to save you and forget the rest. But the Jews were saved so they could be a picture of God's grace to the world and through the Jews, everyone would see how good God is and could then be included into God's family. That the the salvation was meant to come through the Jews to everyone, not just to the Jews and not to everyone else. And so this passage is saying uh, that, that this is now what has happened, that salvation has come to the world through the Jews, that it started in Israel, but it continued to the whole world, and it came through uh, one particular Jewish man, Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the way that, that Jews and Gentiles are brought together. And we see this story told in uh, the book of the Bible, the book of Acts, if you've read it. Uh, There's this story on Acts 10 where Peter uh, is hanging out in the city of Joppa. And Jesus has come and he's preached and gone back up into heaven and they're trying to work out who they can share the gospel with. And and pretty much everyone who's joining the church is Jewish. Uh, And every now and then a Gentile becomes a Christian, but pretty much it's mostly Jews. And, And so Peter is there and he is 
uh, goes up onto the roof to pray, and it comes to about dinner time, and uh, he's getting very hungry, and probably people are cooking food downstairs, and he's smelling it, and it's like, oh, that smells really good. And then it tells us in the, in the passage that he falls into a deep trance. And then when he's in this trance, it tells us, uh, and I had this pointed out to me by another preacher, it tells us that, the, that God brings down a big uh, a big sheet, and in that sheet is all the animals and creatures and reptiles and birds of the, the, the world, all of creation, all the animals are there. And God says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter, he, who, who always is getting things wrong, it's like at this point, he probably went, ah, God is telling me to eat some unclean food, to eat some pork, which I can't eat, or eat some shellfish, which I can't eat. And he knows, like, I don't want to get this wrong. I'm always getting things wrong. I'm not going to get things wrong. And so then when God says, get up, kill and eat, Peter says, surely not, Lord. He's like, I would, I would never eat anything unclean. And then poor Peter, God says to him, do not call anything I have made unclean. And Peter's like, no, I always get it wrong. And poor old Peter, you know, he gets it wrong again. He's trying to say the right thing and he still doesn't get it right. And the point of that story is that God isn't really talking to Peter about food, although the food is just an illustration to say, you know, there is no food that is unclean. There is no people that are unclean. There is no body who the gospel is not there for. There is no body who cannot hear about the love of God and can be, cannot be welcomed into God's kingdom. There is no one who Jesus didn't die for. Peter, everyone, is, everyone can be made clean. So don't hold the gospel back. And because of that, people like you and people like me, we get to hear about Jesus because God said everyone is clean. Everyone is allowed to hear about the good news of Jesus. So it tells us in the passage that, that this is what's happened. It tells us how this has happened. It says this, but now in Christ, this is verse 13, Jesus, sorry, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The way that we are brought into God's fellowship is because Jesus has died on the cross for us. Because Jesus uh, took took the sin that we committed and took it to the cross, took God's wrath upon himself so that we can be saved. It tells us in verse, uh, verse 14, it says that Jesus is our peace. It's saying here, not that Jesus just makes peace or that Jesus just preaches peace or Jesus tells us about peace, but Jesus himself is our peace. The way that we have peace with God is through Jesus. It is only because of Jesus. The only way that we are right with God is because of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just make peace with us and God. He makes peace between us, between Jews and Gentiles, between all sorts of people. He is the peace of us as well. Jesus is our peace. And so now there's no, there should be no division between Jews and Gentiles. But in fact, we should all become one. And in fact, what it says here is not just that Jesus makes peace just for the Jew and just for the Gentiles, but we become one because we all stand equal before God. That because of what Jesus has done, we see that all of us are in need of grace. All of us are people who have done the wrong thing. All of us who have been forgiven by God and all of us have equal access to the Father through the Spirit. There is nothing that separates us. Jesus brings us all together by his blood. 
And in fact, not only that, we don't even just stay in our separate groups and just be happy that we're saved, but we become together. And it says that Jesus creates in himself a new humanity. That it's not just the Jews and the Gentiles anymore, that there's something new coming about. There is a new humanity that Jesus creates by the work that he has done on the cross. Uh, in the James Bond movie, uh, Moonraker, which is pretty much, I'm sure, everybody's favorite James Bond film, uh, the story... Oh, thank you very much. Let me just taste some Melbourne water. What was I talking about? Moonraker. Everyone's favorite James Bond film, Moonraker. It is. I know it's all your favorite film. And this, the story of Moonraker goes that uh, James Bond is tasked to investigate a sinister scheme by the evil mastermind Hugo Drax. And what Hugo Drax has been doing is he has been uh, getting together a whole lot of beautiful people from around the world and gathering them together in a bunch of spaceports. And then they're all going to load up into a space shuttles and shoot off into the space and then get to a space station. And there, all the beautiful people will live together in the space station and they will breed and make more beautiful people and they'll make a perfect humanity. And at the same time as this is happening, uh, they're going to launch from their space station. They're going to launch chemical weapons to Earth and kill off everybody on Earth who is unworthy of being part of Hugo Drax's uh, master race. And, uh, and then they will come back and they will repopulate the Earth and everyone on the Earth will be perfect and beautiful. But James Bond knows that this is a terrible idea, so he flies off into space to fight Hugo Drax along with a bunch of space marines and a big guy called Jaws, and they have a laser battle, and it's fantastic, and Drax is defeated, and James Bond wins the day and then enjoys himself with a woman at the end. And that's the story of Moonraker, and you don't need to go and watch it now because I've given you all the spoilers. But what's going on there is Hugo Drax is like, we're going to make a whole new master race. And this whole idea of the master race is one that is unfortunately has come up again and again over time in, in popular culture, but also in, in just normal culture where people think that we can create a new race of people and they will be perfect. In contrast to this, what Jesus does is he doesn't say, we're going to make a master race. Jesus says, I, he creates a new humanity, which isn't about race at all. In Jesus' new humanity, what Jesus does is he takes Jews and he takes Gentiles and he says, you don't, you're not separate anymore, but you come a brand new humanity, something new and different, something that is brought together by Jesus' blood. By the work that Jesus has done on the cross, we become a new humanity. Jesus makes us one. Jesus destroys the dividing wall of hostility between warring people so that they can become one. And so close do they become one that we see in the passage three images of increasing intimacy of how close we are to other people. As Christians, it's saying as one people, we are, first thing it says is that we are uh, citizens. If you have a look there uh, in, where is it? Ah, oh, there it is, verse 19. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And so there we have three images as I said, of increasing intimacy, showing how close we are. The first one being of citizenship. 
that we are all, as Christians, if we are followers of Jesus, believing in Jesus, we are all citizens together in one country, in God's new humanity, God's, God's kingdom. And I don't know what you're like if you have ever gone overseas, but when I have been overseas and I've been able to spend time hanging out there, my Australianness becomes more pronounced. I like to show off my Australianness. Like when I go past, I'm like, g'day, mate, how you going? And I like to talk to people about you know, encounters I've had with koalas and kangaroos and any times that I have stories of you know, meeting some of Australia's most dangerous creatures, I'll tell those stories. And then if I hear an Aussie somewhere else around, I'm like, oh, where's the Aussie? And then I find them and then we start talking. I'm like, how you going? It's like, it's going all right. And it's like, oh, it's great to be from Australia, overseas, like, yeah. And then we talk about all the things we have in common. It's like, oh, have you ever been to Nana Wadding? It's like, yeah, I love Nana Wadding. It's like, I love Nana Wadding too. And it's like, who loves Nana Wadding? No one loves Nana Wadding. Except when you're overseas, then you love Nana Wadding because you're like, you're Australian, I'm Australian, we're Australians together, it's great. And, and we get really excited about that. And we see that when an Australian gets into trouble overseas, you know, the media starts writing about it. We start sharing things on Facebook and and if people are mistreating Australians, we get upset about it because we feel uh, a, an intimacy with people who are the citizens of the same country as us. And we believe that we should you know, look after people who are similar to us. And what the Bible is saying here is that we are citizens of God's kingdom. And that we, just as Australians come under the protection of the Australian government, we come under the protection of God. And together, uh, we look out for each other and we care for each other and we hold this common citizenship. And in fact, that becomes our primary identity. Like, we are Australians, but more than that, uh, we, are, we are people who are from uh, Jesus' kingdom. We are people who are living together, uh, living under his rule. And we have his love looking after us, his love holding us together. And so, in fact, we don't see ourselves primarily as Australians or primarily as Americans or as, you know, from New Zealand or from Hungary or from Croatia or from Africa or wherever we're from. I know Africa's not a country. Uh, wherever we're from, we don't see ourselves that. Primarily, we see ourselves as Christians first and everything else comes second. But then we get a secondary uh, picture here, one of even more close. And it says that we come, become part of God's household and we become part of God's family. And families, obviously, are closer than just fellow citizens. I got a phone call the other day from my father, and he was talking to me about what new sound system him and my mum should buy. And so I talked to him about it, and then uh, when I make it back to Sydney, probably I will help install that new sound system in their house. And now if some random Australian was to ring me up and say, hey, Tom, I'm wondering what sound system I should buy and can you come over and help me install it? I, I will say, no, no, you can't. And they'll be like, but I'm Australian. I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. We do things for people because they're our family. We do more things. We share blood. We share DNA. We share shared experience with these people. And what this is saying is that when we become followers of Jesus, we become family with each other. We become family by the blood of Jesus, that we become brothers and sisters with each other. We are that close to each other. But more than that, it says that we're even closer together. It says that we become the temple of God. And when we become 
God's temple, that is where God lives. He lives in his temple. And we, as God's people, we are there together building God's temple. It's like we are bricks in God's temple. And how close are bricks to each other? They are very close to each other. Bricks are so close that there's one on top and and one on the bottom and one on the side. and, And only can bricks fulfill their purpose with other bricks around. Only with other bricks can they become the temple. Bricks by themselves just are rubbish, but bricks together can build a wonderful building. Bricks can build the temple. We need each other. We become part of each other. We become one with each other so that God can dwell among us. That is how close we become. And one last thing that I want to tell you about this uh, is that as we see uh, in the passage, at the beginning of the passage, it says that there's the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And some Bible scholars say that uh, this uh, wall that it's talking about is actually a wall that's found in the temple in Jerusalem. That in the temple in Jerusalem, there was the Holy of Holies in the middle, which is where God uh, was said to live. And then outside that, there was where the priests work. And then there was a a wall separating that. And then that was where the Jewish men could, could be. And then outside that, there was another wall. And then there was the court of the women, where the Jewish women could be. And then there was another wall. And outside that wall, and there was a few steps down, so lower than everyone else, that was the court of the Gentiles. So anyone who wasn't Jewish, that's where they could be. That's as close as they could get to God. And there were signs along the wall telling people, saying, Gentiles, if you try and come into this area, then you are not, we are not responsible for what happens to you. You could lose your life if you come into this area. And so there's a dividing wall of hostility, but now, because of what Jesus has done, that wall is broken down. And in fact, the Gentiles are not kept far away from God. They are brought into the presence of God. And more than being just brought into the presence of God, they become the very part of the temple that they were kept out of because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is our peace. We are a unified church because Jesus is our peace. Jesus brings us together. And so the question then is, well, what are the implications of this? Well, the implications for the, the church in Paul's day were huge. Uh, they, they had to you know, bring together these Jews and Gentiles, these two different people. But as we can see now, there's not a lot of issues about that in the church today. So it's good because it means it's working, but that doesn't mean that we aren't divided people. There are still divisions within the church today. We find ways to divide. We as humans are very good at dividing from different types of people and just sticking with people like us. So we we divide from people who are a different race from us or a different gender from us or a different uh, economic um, lifestyle than us or a different education than us with different skills from us. We divide. Churches continue and love to divide. You can look at any kind of church, and you'll often see division, and division amongst Christians. Like, you know, old people, you know, can write off young people because, you know, they're too crazy and disobey the rules, and, and young people can write off old people because they're, they're boring and, and don't like to change anything, and, and you know, the evangelicals can write off the charismatics because they're, they're too emotional and, and are weak on the Bible, and the charismatics and the, and the Pentecostals can write off the evangelicals because, you know, they're too emotionally stunted 
and don't let the Holy Spirit work. And, and different, then different denominations can, can write off people as well and, and different political parties like, like liberal voters don't like labor voters and labor voters don't like liberal voters and liberals and labor voters. They, none of them like the Greens. And everyone dislikes each other. Everyone divides and we all like to divide so we can stick with the people who are just like us. But I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't die so that we can write each other off and keep dividing. Jesus died to bring us together. We are a unified church because Jesus is our peace. And so we have to work at bringing down these walls of hostility to making sure that we are not a divided church, but we are a church that sticks together. And that doesn't, <coughs> excuse me, that doesn't mean that we have to be the same as everyone else, that everyone has to be just like each other. Because there is, there is greatness in diversity, that we learn about Jesus in diversity. And so we choose diversity over discrimination. We say, we love this. That when you become a Christian, you don't have to change. But in fact, you stay who you are and you become better at being who you are because of who Jesus made you. That means that if you say are a Chinese person who becomes a Christian, we can't say, well, now you've become a Christian, you must act like a white person. Because, you know, being white and being Christian are not synonymous. They're not the same thing. We say, it's great you've become a Christian. Now learn to be the best Christian you can be of, who, has, who is also Chinese with your Chinese background. Use that and grow in it and love it and we will learn from you. And that means that if a woman becomes a Christian, then we cannot say to her, well, you now must act like a man. And we say, it's great. If you're a woman that becomes a Christian, then be the best woman that God has made you to be. Be a good Christian woman. If you're a man that becomes a man, a man, a man that becomes a Christian, uh, then be the best Christian man that you can be who God has made you to be. That we choose to love the diversity that God has brought into his kingdom because we are Christians first and everything else second. So we don't have to change everything else. We just choose our allegiance to Jesus more. Jesus is who makes us what we are. And so we love the diversity in the church and we encourage the diversity in the church. And so we need to work on that. Because I'm sure that if you look around the church, you will see that, that even though you know, things look pretty good, in churches in general, there is still division. Even if there isn't meant to be, there is still division. Like you look at the leadership of, of churches in Australia, you look at the leadership of, of all churches in this area, you look at the leadership of churches, you look at, and most churches are run by educated, white, married men. That's pretty much who runs churches. And there's nothing wrong with educated, white, married men. Um, I'm, I'm one of them and I quite like myself. But, but if all we hear from is educated, white, married men, then we don't get to hear from, from people who of different types. We don't get to hear uh, from, from women and single people and, and people who have come from other countries and people who, who have, have different levels of education. We don't hear from these different types of people. And if God has brought us together as one people, we need to, we need to encourage all the different voices that are in the church to hear from all sorts of different people. You know, we as a Baptist church, we have the great privilege of being able to vote in our leadership and choose who leads us. And so we can look out for people around us uh, who, have, who have good things to say and good things to contribute into this church and say, hey, why don't you step up into leadership? 
All right, well, I'll nominate you into leadership. We'll, and we'll see if we can make sure we can hear from all sorts of different people so that we can, we can love the diversity that God has given us in his kingdom. Other things that we can do to make sure that we are loving God's diversity that he's given us is to, to make sure that we are paying attention to our views, that we are paying attention to how we feel, we are paying attention to make sure that we are people who have Christ-like attitudes of love towards all sorts of people, so we're not racist or sexist or classist or any kind of other ist, that we, that we don't hold these views and say, I just want to love like Christ. And we need to be willing to accept that maybe we do have views that are not like Christ's views. And chances are, if you are one kind of ist, a racist or a sexist or any other kind of ist, you don't know you are. Because how often have you heard people say, I'm not racist, but, and then they say something really racist. And the reason why they say that is because they think they're not racist. If you're a racist, you don't know you are. If you're a sexist, you don't know that you are. So you need other people to help you see it. You need to say, God, show me. Show me where, where my views are not like yours. Show me where I'm not loving like you are loving, where, where I'm holding a class distinctions and gender distinctions and all sorts of distinctions over and above your peace that you have brought to your church. And we need to be willing to listen to other people when they come to us in love and say, look, you know, the way that you're behaving, what you're saying, that's not loving. That's not like Christ. We need to be willing to listen and accept that maybe, you know, we, our hearts aren't right. The whole point of the gospel is that our hearts aren't right and God's got to bring them into line. But also we need to be willing to say to other people, hey, and say them lovingly, hey, look, I, reckon, I think you're a little bit off here. And then help them to see Jesus is their peace and, and Jesus loves everyone equally and, and we love diversity uh, in God's church. Let's be people who, who put this into practice, what God has done for us in his son, Jesus. The great thing is that all of this, when this all happens, that, that we will see God's church coming together as a witness to the community. If we choose and say, hey, I'm going to become friends with someone who's definitely not like me. I'm going to learn from them and see how they love Jesus. We will see that the church grows. We'll see that we grow. We'll see that we will see Jesus better and the world will see Jesus better. I challenge you to make friends with people who aren't just like you. And, you know, we naturally, you know, go towards the people who are like us because it's easy. But make friends with someone who is different because I can promise you this. You will learn things about Jesus when you hang out with people who aren't like you. If you were to make friends with someone, an asylum seeker who came by boat to Australia and, and knows Jesus, was fleeing persecution and, and got you know, accepted as a refugee and now lives on the other side of the city in a, in a tiny little unit with 10 other people... If you were to make friends with them, I guarantee you, you would learn things about Jesus that you have not seen before. I would learn things about Jesus that I have not seen before. You make friends with people who are not like you, with Christians who are not like you, you will grow because you will see them, see Jesus, how they see Jesus. And as you make friends with them, you will see them, how Jesus sees them. And we will see that Jesus is our peace. We are a unified church because Jesus is our peace. You know, the imagery of the temple is that the temple is the place where people can meet God. All sorts of people can meet God. And so if we want all sorts of people to meet God, then we've got to meet all sorts of people and help them to see him. 
And we can say, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to be the kind of person that, that really just makes friends with all the different people and I'm going to speak up against injustice and I'm going to tell everyone off for the things that they've done. I'm going to make sure that the church is perfect. I'm going to sort this church out. We are going to, we are going to get it right. We can say that, but it's not going to work. Because we can't fix God's church by you know, preaching more or pulling people up more or, or trying to make this the most peaceful, loving pace ever. Because we don't achieve this peace through our efforts. The Bible tells us that our peace is Jesus. Our peace has already been given to us in Jesus. Jesus has made peace for us at the cross. All we do, we don't make the peace anymore. We don't make the church work by our efforts. It all comes about because Jesus is our peace and we just choose to live it out. So as we choose to reconcile with each other, as we choose to love each other, as we choose to care for each other, as we choose to diversify our friendship groups and diversify the church and make sure that we break down those walls of hostility, as we do that, we are just putting into practice the peace that Jesus has won for us. If you are not a Christian, then what this means for you is that though you can search the world for peace, the only place you will truly find it is in Jesus. And you may have some measure of peace in your relationships with other people, but you will definitely never have peace with God until you accept what Jesus has done for you at the cross. And the great thing is that when you accept what Jesus has done for you, that peace, also you get lasting tools to build peace in the relationships in the rest of your life. The only way you find true and lasting peace is in Jesus. For those of us who are Christians, then the challenge for us is to be people of peace. People who know that Jesus is our peace and we build relationships around that peace. That we look for places of division and we bring Jesus into it. So we say, let's live out the truth of what Jesus has done for at the cross when he got rid of the hostility between us and God and the hostility between us and others. Let's be a church that lives out the truth that Jesus is our peace. We are a unified church because Jesus is our peace. That is the truth. Let's be a church that lives it out. How about I pray for us? Lord God, we thank you for what you have done for us in your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have made peace for us. We thank you that we have not been excluded from your covenant, excluded from your family, but we have been brought in. Though we were far away, we have been brought near by your son, Jesus. I pray now that you will be helping me, helping us, to be people who repent of the ways that we have caused division in your church. Repent of the ways that we have looked down on people who are not like us, that we have dismissed the views of people who we are afraid of, people who challenge us, that we will be people who love everyone in your family because you love everyone in your family that we will live out the truth that Jesus is our peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you love Jesus just that little bit more. If you want to get your hands on the Ephesians devotions, then head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. 
There you can also find my other books, videos, and plenty of other stuff. So feel free to check it out and don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.